0: Lovely. Okay then, if you'd like to uh, take your Bibles and can you open up to the book of Judges, please, chapter 7. Sunday mornings when I'm teaching through the Bible, we're working our way through the book of Judges. And uh, yes, we're up to Judges 7. We're halfway through the account to do with the sixth judge, which is Gideon. Let's bow our heads in prayer before we begin. Father God, we come before you this hour. And we pray that you would send your spirit to anoint my words and also to anoint our ears, that we might hear with ears of faith the words that you wish to speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last time we saw that there are three stages in uh, God's preparation of a person, uh, God's call of a man. Uh, That's the calling, followed by the testing. And followed by the ministry and Gideon was called whilst in a place of weakness a place of fear and a place of unfruitfulness but the Lord saw his potential and he said you mighty man of valor and uh, through God Gideon would be brought to a place of strength a place of faith and a place of fruitfulness and that same work God can do in the lives of us all uh, following God's call Uh, Gideon was tested and that's what we concentrated upon last time. Gideon was directed to tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole, to erect an altar to the Lord and to sacrifice to the Lord. In short, Gideon was tested to make a stand in the face of his father, in the face of his neighbours and in the face of his servants. And invariably, when God tests us, it will be a call to make a stand in the company of those around us so that our faith is strengthened and once Gideon had been brought through that uh, testing we read in Judges chapter 6 verse 34 uh, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon so the Lord equipped him for the work of the ministry and so now we start to go into the time of Gideon's ministry and his ministry began actually again in verse 34. The moment he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, he blew the trumpet or the shofar, and the Abiezrites gathered behind him. That was his own tribesmen. And then he sent messengers to the tribes of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. These were all northern tribes. And uh, the call was to amass an army to rise up against this Midianite coalition. If you remember. The Midianites were a nomadic people from Saudi Arabia. Every year they would come a raiding on camels and they would travel north allied with the Amalekites and the eastern peoples. And together they would cross the Jordan from the um, east to the west and then swarm the land like locusts, raiding for as much food as they possibly could get. Uh, The Midianites were described as numerous as locusts in Judges 6 verse 5. Now in this Army that Gideon had amassed, there were 32,000 Israelites. But the army the Lord uses is not concerned about numbers. The army the Lord uses is not concerned about numbers. And indeed, the title of this morning's talk is The Army That God Uses. The Army That God Uses. And just as God prepares a man for ministry, so God prepares an army for war. An army has to be called, an army has to be tested, and an army then is ready to go into battle. And of course, today the church is the Lord's army. And it's important that you know that you are called to the church that you are attending. It's also important that a church is tested and prepared. And then it's important that a church then goes into battle. And I believe that Calvary Chapel Maystone is in a time of testing and preparation at the moment. But the battle will soon be upon us when we'll be involved in more visible meetings and we will be involved in outreach. So. Let's read verses one to three of Judges seven. Then Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. In fact, actually stop there. Gideon's army had been called and the ranks had been formed from the tribes of Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali and Manasseh but they hadn't been tested yet. And before any army goes into battle it goes through a period of training in an attempt to weed out the weak recruits Uh, and this is sometimes called boot camp and really this is what's happening next uh uh, Gideon's army goes through boot camp and basic training in a conventional army serves to weed out poor recruits those with poor fitness those who are weak-willed individuals who are not team players and um when I was looking into the way that army trains new recruits, it tends to take them through three types of tests, physical tests, psychological tests and command tests. Now, physical tests are obviously where tests are, where new recruits are bombarded with arduous physical demands, constant marching, military exercises, long hours. And of course they have to pass a medical examination. And, uh, This serves to identify whether you have the physical strength and endurance to cope with war. Then there are the psychological tests, where pressure is placed upon a soldier to build up a mental endurance. 18 hour days, constant harassment, loud shouting, insults, endless workouts, all serve to identify whether you have the mental endurance to cope with war. And there's also something called command tests, where new recruits are put into training groups. And that group is given a military goal, but it is given seemingly inadequate equipment uh, to complete that goal. And the whole purpose of these command tests is to identify and develop character. One example of a command test that I read about was eight men were tasked to get over an electrical fence, but they weren't allowed to touch the fence. And the only equipment they were given was a log And uh, what this does is it brings out different facets of people's character and personality. Leaders will emerge who come up with ideas and solutions and manage the team. Followers will become evident who do not form an idea or solution, but dutifully follow a plan presented by the group. But then you get the naysayers who bemoan the impossibility of the task and criticise those who come up with ideas and solutions. And thus uh, the army I able to identify who's going to be good for which role and also those uh those soldiers that need to be weeded out now Gideon's army is not a conventional army um but it still needs to be tested and proven to weed out the poor recruits and I kind of see one psychological test being given and one command test being given and uh We'll go into those in just a minute. But just to set up a scene again, we saw there, as we read in verse one, that uh, uh, both the forces of Gideon and the forces of the Midianites are in the Jezreel Valley. This is a flat plain where you've got the hill of Moray to the uh, to the north and to the south of the uh, Jezreel Valley. You've got the well of Harod. And Moray and Harod are separated by approximately five miles. Um, I've not been to Moray, but I have been to the well of Harod. And, uh, you know, five miles is a reasonable distance of safety, uh, especially in the days before airborne missiles and rockets. But we are told in verse 12 of Judges 7 that the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. So, the hill and the plain before the hill were littered with Midianites. They were well equipped with a, with, with a panoply of camels, and the Israelites were outnumbered with superior with superior military strength facing them in the natural. This was a bloodbath waiting to happen, and I guess the fear in the Israeli camp must have been palpable. They had obeyed their trumpet call to arms and eager to overthrow the Midianite oppressors, they gathered to Gideon's core, but when they saw the odds stacked against them, the thought of continued oppression must have been more attractive than the thought of certain death. Now, in scripture, there are two types of believer that are spoken of. One type of believer is the carnal believer, the other is the spiritual, the natural man, or the spiritual man, the one who operates in the flesh and the one who operates in the spirit the one who is driven by the things of the world or the one that is driven by the things of god the one who leans on his own understanding and the one who trusts in the lord with all his heart speaks about this in romans 8 verses 5 to 6 where we read for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And what we see before us is a physical battle ready to happen. But behind every physical battle is a spiritual battle. And for a spiritual battle to be fought and won, what you need is an army that is operating in the spirit. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And this is very much going to be a spiritual battle. Uh, the Midianites were God's means of disciplining Israel. And the goal of this this battle was not just to defeat the Midianites, but to bring Israel back to a place of faith and spiritual obedience under God. Israel would not defeat their Midianite foes through military strength in the flesh. Israel would only defeat Midian through spiritual strength, by operating in the Spirit. So, in answer to the question, who is the army that God uses? The army that God uses is the army that operates in the Spirit, not the flesh and this really is the object of boot camp to find people who are operating in the spirit and not the flesh so let's look at the first test of boot camp this is a a psychological test i think verses two and three and the lord said to gideon the people who are with you are too many for me to give the midianites into their hands lest israel claim glory for itself against me saying my own hand has saved me Now, therefore, proclaiming the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and and 10,000 remained. So boot camp begins in Gideon's army with the first test, a test of faith. Now, we all know there is strength in numbers, but the Lord wanted to reduce Israel's numbers. So their strength was not in themselves but their strength was in God. Uh, You may well know that the Lord always works with impossible odds. That way he is guaranteed to get the glory, not man. Moses and Aaron stood alone against the might of Egypt and won so that God got the glory. Elijah stood alone against the might of the Baal worshippers and won and God got the glory. But Gideon stood with 32,000, against the might of the Midianites and if they won God would not get all the glory so the odds needed to be shifted in favor of the Midianites and against the Israelites so that God would get the glory. Is this the sort of army that you'd want to be part of where the odds were shifted against you? The Lord directed Gideon to take a survey of who was afraid and then charge that number to um, to be dismissed to return home as it were. And this sifting served to weed out those who stood in fear, those who were operating in the natural man, the carnal, because they stood in fear, but would also serve to retain those who stood in faith, the spiritual. Now, for Israel, this principle was not something new. The Lord had already laid this, principle down in Deuter- uh, laid this principle down in Deuteronomy 20, if you'd like to turn there, please. Deuteronomy 20. Deuteronomy 20 is the second book of uh, or the second giving of the law. The first uh, giving of the law uh, was given to the Israelites who left Egypt and died in the wilderness. Um, the second law was given to the Israelites who would enter the promised land. And those Israelites who would go into the promised land would have to fight the Canaanites, uh, whereas before all Israel had known was a life of servitude in Egypt. So it was important to issue laws relating to warfare. And so we're just going to read here verses one to nine of Deuteronomy 20, where it says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up, from the land of egypt so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people and he shall say to them hear o israel today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies do not let heart, your heart faint do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them for the lord your god is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you so we are to see that the lord's army was to not to operate in fear but to operate in faith, operate in faith because the Lord was with them. And that is what Gideon is trying to do back in chapter 7, to get those pe- the people who are operating spiritually by faith and to weed out those who are operating in the natural, in the carnal, through fear. But there were some exemptions to those who had to go to war. Let's read on verses 5 to 8. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, what man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it and what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not yet eaten of it let him also go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it and what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not yet married her let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another marry her Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So the exemptions for those who went to war are those who had a new house, those who had a new vineyard and those who had a new wife. And, you know, when you've got something new like that, your heart is distracted with what you have left behind. And if you're going into battle, you do not want your brother in arms to be in the battle, but mentally uh, with the fairies because he's thinking about what he's left behind at home. You want your brother in arms to have your back and to be present in every way possible. So these people were to be given exemptions. And then, of course, the uh, final exemption given in verse eight is that if anybody is faint hearted or fearful, they're to be dismissed. And to be honest, if I'm facing down the enemy, I want somebody courageous by my side, not some knock-kneed Charles Hawtrey type person, you know. So uh, here we see really Gideon is reducing the size of the army by those who are fearful. He was effectively standing on the word of God in this act. In fact, it says in uh, Judges 7 verse 2, we can go back to Judges 7 now, I'm done with Deuteronomy. Um, It says in Judges 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, and I think it's entirely possible Gideon could have been reading Deuteronomy 20 in preparation for the battle. He read there verse 8, and the spirit quickened to him this principle to enact it at the well of Herod. And so the consequence was the army was reduced by 22,000 men. Only 10,000 men were left standing. Now this is a crushing blow in natural terms. Uh, to see your, your numbers dwindled so heftily. But God is interested in quality, not quantity. Now he has an army of men who walk in faith, not in fear. So in answer to the question, what is the army that God uses? The army that God uses walks in faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 tells us, For we walk by faith, not by sight. The 22,000 soldiers were dismissed due to fear, but uh, they would still serve as a reserve army. And I believe they're called upon a little bit later. So let's go to the second test. And this test is more of a command test, I would say. So uh, Judges 7 verses 4 to 7. We read, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart for it by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. And Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So this second test is a test of character. And... um. Basically, people get to this, the well of Harrod, which is a series of rock pools uh, and some uh, get into the water. Some kneel down and they just lap up the water, getting as much in. They're they're ravenously thirsty and they just drink as much water as we can. But there are some some, some men who just get down on their haunches. They cup up the water with their hands and lap it out of their hand. Now, the British army... Presently consists of uh, a little over 82,000 uh, regulars and 30,000 uh, in army reserve. And the British army is split into two halves. You've got the field army and you've got the home command. The field army is the fighting force, those who are actively engaged or are ready to engage in operations. And then you've got the home command, which is the supporting forces, logistics, medical, food, things like that. Uh, But within each army, you also have special forces. Uh, We've got a number of special forces. Our most well-known, of course, is the SAS. The American equivalent of the SAS is Delta Force. And in Israel, their equivalent of uh, the SAS is Sayeret Matkal. And Gideon is busy developing his own Sayeret Matkal, his special forces. And uh, the scene for this next test is the Well of Harod. And at first glance, this test appears to be external in nature, uh, you know, looking at how the soldiers drink water. And it has been suggested to me uh, in teaching. In fact, every time I've heard this being taught in the past, the, the same application has been given. That is about uh, testing. Uh, the testing hinges on whether the people have a state of readiness, because those who lap up the water have dropped their guard. They're just drinking up the water. They're not looking around where those who put their hand to their mouth uh, maintain their guard, they're looking around and they're able to have one hand in their sword while they're drinking the water. And uh, a state of readiness is certainly very important. Certainly we are all called to be in a state of readiness as Christians. We should be watching and waiting for our Mm -hmm. Lord's second uh, coming. But actually, despite what I've been taught in the past, what I believe, having studied it over the last day or so, What I believe is happening here is something completely different. We are told in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, The Lord does not see as man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But we all know that the thoughts and the intents of the heart can often be betrayed by outward expression. Jesus himself said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can see by what somebody says, what's going on in the heart, and certainly By the way that somebody behaves, you can see what's in the heart. And what we see in these two groups of people in the act of drinking water is one group of people who are governed by their bodily appetites. They can't help but fall upon the water and guzzle as much as they possibly can. Their thirst is the most dominant concern to them and making sure it's quenched. But then you've got another group of people who have self-control over their bodily appetites despite their thirst they're able to maintain decorum cut the water and bring it to their mouth and i believe we've got a picture of two types of believer here the spiritual man and the carnal man the spiritual man has self-control over his bodily appetites but the carnal man is ruled and governed by their bodily appetites and as we've seen before the army that god uses is the one that is not governed carnally, but is governed spiritually. It says in um, Romans 8, verses 12 to 14, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So there is a process of sifting here, weeding out the carnal soldiers and identifying the spiritual soldiers. So again, in answer to the question, what is the army that God uses? The army that God uses is the army that walks in the spirit. We are told in Galatians 5 verses 24 and 25. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit we are to put to death the deeds of the body. Force the flesh to submit to the spirit. And instead of feeding the flesh, feed the desire of the spirit so that the spirit has supremacy and ultimate rule in governing our lives. So with these two tests complete, the boot camp has completed and the army is ready. Now, let's read verses 8 to 11. Then he went... um, Where am I? I'm in the wrong chapter. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley and it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Gideon now has his SAS. They take their provisions and their trumpets and they get ready for action. And this is going to be a covert mission, not a full frontal assault. The remaining 9,700 return to their tents. They'll serve as army reserves along with the 22,000 who are also on standby and if Gideon is the general then the Lord God Almighty is the field marshal and orders come down from on high in verse 9 where it says arise go down against the camp for I have delivered it into your hand. Now any successful military campaign relies not only on its army but also on its reconnaissance reports and its intelligence reports. Now the Lord is our reconnaissance and our intelligence. He goes out before us in all that we do. Uh, he does not direct his army without the foreknowledge of what they're walking into. Nevertheless, the Lord is gracious and he understands Gideon's uncertainty. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, as it says in Psalm 103. And so he says to Gideon in verse 10, if you are afraid, go down, go down to the camp with your purier servant and you shall hear what they say. So Gideon and his servant, Pura, head down to the Midianite military outpost on a a reconnaissance uh, exercise to gain intelligence. Now, the military outpost is a small garrison of men some distance from the main army. And this is probably the Midianite reconnaissance patrol, to be honest with you. But that's where they go down to this this small outpost. And uh, let's read verses 12 to 15. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have just had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. So Gideon and his servant arrive at the outpost in time, just in time, to overhear a conversation between two men. What the chances, eh? And one is sharing with the other man about a dream he's had. Uh, a loaf of barley bread has tumbled into the Midianite camp, causing a tent to collapse. Now, barley is a poor man's wheat. Generally speaking, it's not used to feed men. It's used to feed, feed cattle and animals. But uh, the barley bread is a picture of really a poor humble insignificant man and remember Gideon described himself as the least in the weakest of the clans of Manasseh this is clearly representing um, Gideon this barley loaf and the other man seems to have the gift of interpreting dreams and he agrees the barley loaf is the sword of Gideon and he perceives that God has delivered Midian into the hands of Israel and uh This intelligence report is gold dust. It is exactly what Gideon needs to hear to fortify his faith and the faith of his 300. To extinguish all remaining doubts and fears and to enable him to move forward with confidence. And Gideon is so stirred he can't help but worship the Lord. But, you know, he must have worshipped the Lord on the QT because, you know, if he shouted out hallelujah or praise the Lord, he would have given away his position. So he creeps back. uh, Uh, to camp and uh, he reports back to um, Israeli HQ he delivers his reconnaissance report and the intelligence no doubt stirs up the army to greater heights of faith and in this event what we see is the hand of God's providence at work God's providence providence is where the Lord sees ahead of time what events will unfold and provides for his people in a favorable manner Providence is where the Lord sees ahead of time what events will unfold and provides for his people in a favourable manner. One of the oldest sayings of the ancient church was uh, Deus pro nobis. Uh, Deus pro nobis means God for us. And that really does sum up the doctrine of providence. It's all about God being for his people. David Guzik put it this way. It was no accident that the man dreamed the dream that night. It was no accident that he told his friend about it at just that moment. And it was no accident that Gideon came to the exact place where he overheard the man telling the dream. This was God's providence. So Gideon issues the command, arise for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Which is almost verbatim what the Lord had said to Gideon back in verse nine prior to his carrying out this scouting mission. And God wants his leaders to be his mouthpiece God wants leaders who will be his mouthpiece who will speak forth what uh, he has declared with confidence and authority and Gideon is that man he speaks forth the words of God and so the army the Lord uses is the one led by a man who speaks forth the oracles of God the army the Lord uses is the one led by a man who speaks forth the oracles of God let's read verses 16 to 18 then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers, uh, torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do just as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So now we come to the day of battle or rather the night of battle. Uh, no army goes into battle without a strategy. And here we have a strategy devised by a spirit filled man. The army was first of all to be put into divisions, uh, into three companies, each 100 in number. Gideon commanded one company of 100 soldiers and there was probably a captain over uh, the other two companies of 100 men. Then comes the equipping. Each man is equipped with a, tr- a trumpet, a pitcher or a water jug and a torch. Now, if I was going to go to battle, I would be hoping for an army, a standard army issue rifle. I wouldn't be happy if I was given a trumpet, a torch and a jug. But, you know, what does it say in 2 Corinthians 10 4? the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We don't fight the way that God fights. And finally, the directions are given. Each soldier was to follow the example of their commanding officer Gideon, they were to approach the Midianites, blow their trumpet when Gideon sounded his, and shout, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And what we see here is that the army that the Lord uses is the army that employs spiritual weapons. The army the Lord uses is the one that you employs spiritual weapons. Let's read the rest of the text. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Then the three hundred blew the trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled as far as, uh, no, to Beth Acacia, towards Zerara, as far as the border of Abil Mihola by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Nephtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah uh, and the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So the advantage of a small team of 300 Special Forces soldiers is that they can approach the enemy camp with greater stealth and secrecy. Uh, Gideon surrounds the outpost. The other two companies are probably nearer the main camp. And it's at the beginning of the middle watch, i.e. the middle of the night, when men are most drowsy. It's a covert operation, under cover of night. And one watch has just left the outpost for the main camp, so they're entering the main camp weary. And another watch has just arrived at the outpost. They're settling, not yet orientated, perhaps. And the army follows Gideon's lead. First of all, they sound the trumpets. This loud noise would have disorientated the Midianite soldiers. One trumpet is the sound of a company led by a company, but led by a captain. To have 300 trumpets sounding would give the impression of an overpowering force of 300 companies of soldiers. An overwhelming military force. Secondly, they break the pitchers, the clay jugs, and the pitchers were were concealing the light of the torches. So they had lit the torches, they put the jugs over the top. They take the jugs off, they throw them to the ground and smash them. And this further added to the disorientation, the sound of crushing clay and uh, a wall. And uh, um, so that this sound of the crushing jugs um, added to the sound of the trumpets to give a disorientating sound and then thirdly the torches revealed their light and so suddenly there would have been a sudden flood of light that surrounded the camp and they would thought crikey we've got armies of untold soldiers all the way around us which had further struck fear into the camp on top of the disorientation of the sound being made and then finally the battle cry shouted the sword of the lord and of gideon now this is not an act of pride on Gideon's part by saying, let's cry for the sword of the Lord in Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon was the phrase used by the Midianite soldiers. So he's employing the terminology used by the Midianites, who inter- the Midianite soldier who interpreted the dream. and So he's slaying the enemy using their own words, just as David slayed Goliath using the giant sword. And so this fourfold attack of the uh, The trumpets the pitchers the torches and the battle cry sends the midianite army into disarray and they fall in upon themselves initially with their own swords so that israel doesn't need to raise a blade against anybody they do the midianites do all the killing themselves killing one another in the disorientation and the fear that has been stirred up and this reminded me of exodus 14 verse three moses uh when moses had formerly said to the Israelites do not be afraid stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today you shall see again no more forever. Gideon's army were disciplined and exercised restraint they weren't bloodthirsty to fall upon the Midianites with swords they stood still and saw the salvation of the Lord. That's the sign of a spiritual army an army that has been created by God. They stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now how long the Midianites killed each other is unclear. I suspect they fought until daylight broke. And then seeing how they had routed themselves. And how substantially they had weakened themselves. They f- then fled to Beth Acacia. Now Beth Acacia is sometimes referred to as Beth Shittah. And it's a place further down the Jezreel Valley. It, so they would have been heading from the Jezreel Valley uh, east towards the Jordan River um, uh, following the route of the river Kishon. And why did they run this way? Well, the Jordan had fords and passes where you could cross to the west. And so the Midianites were cutting a hasty retreat trying to get back home. And it's at this point, Gideon calls in the army reserve. The 9,700 troops at the well of Harrod in their tents and possibly the 22,000 who were earlier dismissed. The army reserve were the soldiers drafted from Asher, Naphtali, Zebulun and Manasseh, and these companies come charging in to pursue the Midianites down the Jezreel Valley towards the Jordan. But then Gideon issues a new draft, a second draft, and this is a call to the tribe of Ephraim, which is adjacent to Manasseh. And Ephraim answers the call and he charges the Ephraimite companies to take the task of seizing the watering places. That is to head off the Midianites at a point where they would want to cross over the Jordan. And so the Midianites are trapped between the Israelites who are pursuing them and the Ephraimites who are heading them off at the river Jordan. And uh, as a result of this manoeuvre, The Midianites are cornered and killed and we read there of the two princes of the Midianites who were captured, Oreb and Zeb. These two princes were executed uh, by beheading it seems and the heads were brought to Gideon. In fact it says they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So evidently some Midianites were able to successfully cross the Jordan but Ephraim being fresh to the battle had the greatest stamina and was able to overtake them. Now, when we go to chapter eight next time, we'll see that the Ephraimites have a taste for blood now that they've killed Oreb and Zeb, and uh, they bemoan the fact that they weren't called to the battle earlier. But the Lord had His army. He didn't need the Ephraimites at that point. He just needed the three hundred. He tested them. He tried them, and he'd got the people that he needed to fight the battle. And the army that the Lord uses is not concerned about numbers. The army that the God uses operates in the spirit, not the flesh. The army that God uses walks in faith. The army that God uses walks in spirit. The army that the Lord uses is the one led by a man who speaks forth the oracles of God. The army the Lord uses is the one that employs spiritual weapons. And the army the Lord uses is the one that stands still and seize the salvation that the Lord brings. So in closing, are you in the Lord's army? Do you meet the criteria to be one of the 300? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, I pray that you would give us this spiritual insight to be able to know when you are testing us and preparing us for battle. Help us to be those who pass the test, that operate in the spirit and not in the flesh who are not found to be carnal, governed by our bodily appetites, but are governed by your spirit at work in alive in us. Lord, please raise up godly men who speak forth the oracles of God to lead the churches forward in this land, that we might defeat the many Midianites that face us. Help us to stand still and see the salvation that you will bring, so that, Lord, you will get the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.